You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? What is I'm doing this? Okay. What is this week's visual gag, Mickey? I can't read that. What does it say? It says nothing. Damn it! <laughs> it wants. It wants to verify that it's me, which is insane. <laughs> Mickey, our gags need to be better prepared than this. Now, I say our gags, oh, well. but they're your gags, and I never know what they're going to be. a photo of Lyndon Johnson. A photo of Lyndon Johnson. Well, that would have been worth the trouble, because nothing, nothing fills the room with mirth like a photo of Lyndon Johnson. What, what were you going to say after you showed us the photo? Uh, I was going to say that... The LBJ scenario is gathering steam. Oh, God. Is this a scenario where, oh, what? Trump's going to back out? Correct. That's, that's total bullshit. It's not total bullshit. They got and a it, big endorsement from John Harris, plugged in pundit for politico.com. Uh, and he would never do that as clickbait, right? Because he's a journalist. Uh, no, he'd do it for clickbait, but he's a smart guy and he does have, it's not the conventional wisdom. He's maybe has quirky views, but, uh, it's not insane to think that, you know, faced with utter humiliation, Trump would give a dramatic speech. Maybe the day he accepts the nomination where he didn't accept the nomination and threw the nomination open, uh, dramatically in a speech that will be remembered throughout history. And then, you know, he has a good, he has a good future ahead of him. He can run the Trump network. He can run again in four years. He can, he can't do be that. a kingmaker. Uh, where is, you know, is he having fun? What's so great about his second term? Is that going to be so you, great you for him? You clearly missed the big story of the week, Mickey, which is that the Trump comeback. You don't sense it. You don't feel it. Let me give you some numbers. Okay. Great. The real clear politics aggregated favorability rating. This is not a volatile number because it's an aggregation of a number of polls. It's a poll of polls. And the thing to watch here is Trump's underwater number, you know, but how much higher is approval than disapproval? Not Um, according to John Ellis. According to me. Uh, And July 18th, that number was 14.9. As recently as July 27th. A mere few days goes fourteen point two. This morning it was eleven point six. Um, interesting. I've been waiting for that to happen. I hadn't looked at the polls. The the and the, the polls sta- have also the polls per se him versus Biden have also been narrowing uh, sta- a little. The, the standard theory is you should look at his the the percent of votes he gets in a matchup with Biden because I assume because of the incumbent rule, which is. All the undecideds go against the incumbent. So if he's 49 before the election, he's going to get 49 and lose 51-49. If he's 51, he's sitting pretty, but uh, he's not going to go up from that number. So if the number is 40, he's toast. Well, and I the number the, has been 41 in key I don't know what the number is. I know in the aggregated poll, uh, he has narrowed the gap between him and Biden in the last four days from 9.3 to 8.3. And again, for an aggregated poll, that's not quite nothing. And here's my concern, is that he will interpret this as validation of his stir-up-the-pot in Portland strategy and take it nationwide big time and decide that chaos is his friend. That that could well, really be, be trouble. It is a validation of his Portland strategy, isn't it? Well, that's what or, worries me. That I mean, it, it could be. be. You can argue it either way. 
it may just be things settling back to earth. And if he if he goes for a week without creating a huge major negative scandal, he'll go up. But uh, but he did create a huge major negative scandal. So <laughs> which one? The delay the, that he thought about delaying the election. Yeah, that was interesting. What do you think he was thinking there? Uh, I think it was thinking, hey, let's test the waters with this idea. I mean, he may not have realized that the Constitution sets a hard date for the actual transfer of power. So there's a limit to how much he could delay it, even if he could get Congress to go along. It, 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 it may be more John Ewism, which is, hey, I can do anything. Let the courts, just, you know, tell me otherwise. But I don't believe that. Were you I think su- he was just late at night, you know, stirring up the pot, as you say. Were you surprised by how unequivocally McConnell kind of swatted the idea down? No, it's an insane idea. It's not going to happen. Glad to hear uh, you think that. Uh, it's um, but um, so uh, I think he is getting traction with his attack on mail-in voting, although it's hurting him. But he's right about it. It's obviously that's what you call traction. When it hurts him. Well, he's traction with the policy. I mean, What's people it are like realizing, when he runs into a wall? People are realizing after the election in New York that this could be huge chaos. They lost, you know, some large percentage of the votes, like 20%, and the election was decided by 468 votes or something, and it was a disaster. And the postmarks, if the post office fails to postmark it, it's not the voters' fault, but the vote gets disqualified. The post office isn't quite ready. Uh you know, people are suspecting that Trump is going to screw around with the post office. That doesn't seem implausible to me, but that's not an argument for it. That's just another argument against it. And I think there's a reason why the Democrats were pushing so hard for mail-in ballots. And it's because they want they want eventually to be harvesting them, uh, which is illegal in some states, illegal in California. What, which by means, harvest, you mean they have people going door to door saying, can we help yeah, you out they, with your... Yeah, they send around their party cadres to known Democratic, you know, strongholds, and they help people fill out their ballots, and they deliver the ballots. Uh, And maybe if if you know, do we is the is the ballot secrecy guaranteed? No, maybe if the they see the voter voting Republican, that that ballot accidentally gets dropped in a trash can. Uh, It's it's a recipe for disaster. And is it legal? I mean, in California, it's not illegal. dropping That's, it in a trash can, but I mean, going door to door and even being with them as they fill it out. I think so. I don't. Th- I, I I doubt that you could look and tell them different, but you can. I'm sure you can be with them once they fill it out. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's how the Democrats won these four seats in Orange County. Uh, everybody thinks, and so the Republicans haven't geared up to match it. But when they do it, it's going to be just as bad. It's just a terrible system. Well, the more you talk about it, the more I like it. Why don't they, um, why don't they leave the polls open like multiple days before Tuesday? They're not well, doing that's, that, right? That's, that, there's a push on for that now. Uh, from Republicans? I think so. There was a, a post by Fred Bauer, uh, who's a pundit, not a, not an MSM pundit, but a lone pundit like me. Um, it, it, he seemed to cite some push to, uh, open in-person voting early, and that's the obvious solution. Figure out a way to make in-person voting safe. Stretch it out, have distance between the polling places, have some sort of, you know, drive-through capacity where at McDonald's you go and instead of McDonald's, it's a polling place that day, and you go and you 
mm-hmm. fill out your ballot and turn it in. You stay in your car. Um, you know, be innovative about it and, and reduce the risk. I, I think that's the best we can do. It's especially true, by the way, in minority communities, are they are hesitant to use. There was a NPR piece on it, and if it's on NPR, it must be true. Hesitant to use mail-in voting. They're used to in-person voting, hmm. so it would help minority turnout too, which wouldn't help Trump, but it, it would help. Well, you know, although in your have scenario, a, have an honest election. Although, but doesn't the ballot harvesting you fear lead to effectively high minority turnout? That's what mail. the Democrats think, but uh, it it looks like uh, that in in these urban areas, uh, in person voting might lead to high minority turnout. Hmm. Um, so look what happened in Wisconsin. I mean, they had a vote. There was high minority turnout. The Republican lost. So, so in person, how much of a chance do you think he has to turn it around? Uh, like if you were betting, twenty five percent. 25%. But, you know, as you know, I care about the Senate more than the presidency. Mm-hmm. And the, these, it's just hard for me to believe that the Republicans win, win the Senate. I mean, uh, if Martha McSally wins in Arizona, I will eat my hat. She's the most obvious loser since wait, I wait, ran Remind Senate, us, she's okay? the Republican or that she's the Republican? She's she's the Democrat. Uh-huh. She, she's, sorry, she's the Republican ex-fighter pilot who who is not wildly popular in the state. She lost the vote last time but got appointed to the extra seat by the governor. So she's an appointed senator who lost once before. She's running against this very popular astronaut who's married to Gabby Giffords who got shot. Who you know recently was orbiting the Earth? Yeah, astronaut uh, beats. What's the other one? Fighter pilot. Fighter pilot. Yeah, astronaut she, wins for sure. She she was a wimpy you know Bush Republican, and then when Trump uh, was in his sentence, she suddenly became a Trump Republican. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she'll win. She had a reasonably good legislative proposal the other day. So, uh, but I bet in Tom Tillis and the there's just a collection of of completely unappealing candidates. Well, as you know, I hope um, that your darkest uh, fear comes true in the Senate. And you want you you want a big amnesty bill? That's fine with me. I, I mainly want other things that it could deliver, uh, like not having Republicans, like like appointing judges, being in you know uh, being in control of Supreme Court appointments, having some kind of chance. Of uh, coherent legislation generally, which you won't have if, if power is divided between the parties, um, and uh, including health care, which I think is important, which I would like personally, and various other things that are progressive. Health care is a big one. Maybe uh, more progressive tax rates. Uh, I don't have super high hopes uh, for foreign policy, um, but that's that. I mean, it's going to be Blob it- City. They Pretty might much. be able. They might be able to do uh, healthcare through reconciliation, and they wouldn't need to get rid of the filibuster. Bill Sher was saying on Twitter he, he's very pessimistic. About, I mean, he I don't even know if he what he what he wants to happen, but he said you know uh, even a public option, a robust public option, is unlikely just because you have to win, you have to uh, beat the insurance lobby. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I mean, I shouldn't even. They are going to eliminate the filibuster. I shouldn't pretend that there's 
if they win control of the Senate that they're not. They will eliminate the filibuster. Obama endorsed it yesterday. They're casting it as, you know, if you're for the filibuster, you're a racist, that we have to, you know, fulfill John Lewis's legacy on voting rights or they're having that be the poster child for ending the filibuster. I mean, it's all wired. And, and so I shouldn't even entertain the idea that anything will be done through reconciliation because the Democrats won't have to do anything through reconciliation. So, see, I don't even uh, understand the mechanics of that, but I'll trust you. This it's some way you can pass something with a simple majority vote if you pretend that it's a budget bill, and it means you have to get rid of any provisions that don't affect the budget. So, abortion classically is hard to do through reconciliation, mm-hmm. but that's how they pass welfare reform. You know, that's it's it's the only way anything gets done anymore. So, uh, okay. that's uh, anyway. So what is the what is the perfect storm that could get Trump elected? What are the things that would have to happen? I have my list. Uh, uh, well, the, uh, the um, th- there was there was this tweet from tr- Trump campaign a, a month ago that said, you know, it was after some disaster, and it said, "Well, we're the economy is getting better. There's, we're working on vaccines and therapies. They'll be here soon, mm-hmm. and people want safe communities." Okay. That's actually not a bad message. Uh, if the economy comes back, it looks like the vaccine is good. But if it just if what happened in New York happens in the country, which is all of a sudden the vi- the the deaths just disappear, uh, as happened in Sweden too. Uh, what what's going on there? Maybe they achieved herd immunity or something. But but that would be a good thing. And it looks like that, as you know, that that might happen. The cases are plateauing, and the deaths, which are still rising, are a lagging indicator. So. Uh, people are, are are relatively optimistic, and then memories are short. And then Ruth Bader Ginsburg retires, and there's a big Supreme Court fight where the liberals overplay their hand, and uh, conservatives are reminded why they want Trump in the first place. And then um, Jared Kushner has a mysterious accident and is unable to run the campaign. And... <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, Trump wins. I think we've entered the realm of Mickey fantasy. Um, the the uh, isn't no, this think, the realm of Mickey fantasy? I thought this. Did I cover yeah, the wrong room? Bad things happening to Jared. Or, or, oh, uh, the the um, no, I think that's right. The economy again. You know, it's not so much the absolute level as the sense of whether things are getting better. Could well be the case. Uh, could well be the case that the COVID situation. Um, is getting better. I mean, it's true, like deaths are, um, last week, the seven day average for deaths was 844. This week, it's well over a thousand. Um, and that's bad, but that will only continue, I think. Uh, the, the, I don't think it'll keep rising for more than a couple of weeks, maybe three, because as you said, um, cases per day are starting to have been declining for about a week. So have uh, total current hospitalizations. So um, the deaths number will start to go back down and care will get better and so on. And there is hope on the vaccine front. I don't think we're going to have a a vaccine that people are actually getting before November. But but there could be prom. And Trump is doing all these flash, you know, spending all this money so he can say we're guaranteeing Americans first access to these several vaccines. He's spending a lot of government money. I, I don't even know how well it's being spent. I haven't looked into it. But what what I don't understand is why he's not showering Americans with emergency COVID cash. In other words, 
the Republican position is they're against this $600 unemployment bonus. And I understand why they're against it, because small businesses feels like they can't hire workers if they have to give up a $600 bonus to come to work. So why not? Oh, is that it? it? I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, why are the Republicans letting themselves be cast as the villains? But the the business part of their constituency is saying the the idea is it's a conspiracy by the Democrats to stop people from going to work, both for uh, health reasons, because they don't want people to go to work, feel unnecessary pressure to go to work. And also because they would love to tank the economy right before the election. So they don't want the economy to come back. So the Republicans representing the business say we'd like to hire these guys, but you're paying them so much money. Of course, they're not going to go to work if they have to give up not only unemployment, but an extra 600 bucks, which is more than we have. We can pay them. So uh, you would think there would be some sort of creative solution, like a bigger per person check. I mean, everybody gets 1200. Why not make it 2400? Why not make it 3000? I think that's effective. If you get a check Mm -hmm. signed Donald Trump for $3,000, you know. So, so, So money not contingent on unemployment. Yeah, but money, money you can work and still, I mean, still get. The, the Democrats will never give up the whole unemployment thing. And, uh, so the idea would, I guess the only practical way would be reduce that amount and to raise the per capita, just straight cash amount. Uh, but, so the, but, the Republicans want 200, the, the Democrats want 600. If you dial that back to 400 and you give more, I mean, that, that's the, I think that would be my but, but so far, are the Democrats managing to cast the Republicans as the villains who don't want to help the average American? I think so. And, and, and that's incredible that the Republicans. I was going to ask said, you. Having yeah. said, here's our generous offer. You can pass it tomorrow. It will, you know, it'll be good for another month. We can negotiate when we come back. Uh, and the Democrats are the villains. It's, it's pretty amazing that they don't do that. So. Yeah, I was now that now Democrats are, as we record, the last ones who have said no to something. The Republicans, you know, offered this stopgap thing that would last like, you know, not long at all. And the Democrats said no. But I I still sense that you're right. And the Republicans are not the ones looking good right now. So, yeah, go ahead. I think that was McSally's legislative initiative that I was talking about. The um, so. Continuing with with uh, the Trump perfect storm checklist, I think as you suggested, this he's got to work the civil unrest issue to his advantage, and one way is to look like the feds are solving the problem. Like like if this deal works, where the feds withdraw uh, in Portland uh, from the courthouse at least, and 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 Trump can then say, okay, things look better now. We we came in, we laid down the law to the state and local officials. And now things are fine. If he can do that repeatedly, that's one way. I guess another way, the way that worries me is if it turns out that escalating chaos just works to his favor, that there's some kind of rally around the flag effect or he convinced people that it, that the Democrats are behind true. it. The Democrats are the party of Antifa, as Steve Bannon puts it and other well, people put it. Well, he also has to start talking about immigration. I mean, there's all this evidence. Start, start with that, that guy who got uh, canceled. Uh, for bringing up Wausau's data, Shore, David Shore, uh-huh. say, saying in his New York Magazine interview, we've learned that Democrats should just not talk about immigration because our immigration positions are unpopular with the working class. So that's an indication if you're a Republican, you want to talk about immigration. Then there was a focus group in uh, uh, CNN conducted with, with working class voters who were sticking with Trump 
because they care about immigration and trade. So why doesn't Trump talk about this surefire winner, immigration uh, and trade, if he wants to shore up his base? It's insane, and it's an indication of the extent to which Bob, the globalist swamp, has infiltrated even his campaign in the persona of Karl Rove and maybe even Jared Kushner himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what you know, why did Brad Parscale, when he was announcing what the themes uh, of the campaign were going to be, leave out immigration? And they asked him, and he said, well, we have those voters. No, they don't. <laughs> Let's talk about immigration. He's going to wind up talking about immigration again anyway. Uh, why not do it now? Well, the globalists are losing on other fronts. Um, like China. There was a terrible article by Robin Wright in The New Yorker if, about how uh, I thought we're never going to win the Cold War against China because uh, so much of our, uh, you know, we, we get so we get so many goods from them. Our supply chains are all located in China. They have us over a barrel uh, and we need to uh, negotiate, cooperate with them and hope that their exposure to democracy will make them more democratic. That, 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 if that's not the blob, we need another word for blob. Uh, and no, that's not the blob. The, the blob, no, the blob is, the blob wants a cold war with China. I mean, well, no, that's an oversimplification. So, so, but, so but, what's, what's the word for horrible, fusty council on foreign relation people who believes in diplomatic yeah. engagement as the solution to all problems? Yeah, no, the, the blob, uh, is, it's actually kind of worth orthogonal or whatever to the cold war with china thing i mean you got your china hawks and the blob and you got your others but uh and you and and you're you're right you're you're corporatist globalists uh who 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 don't want to see a split but so um, the blob is war but so what's yeah. the non-war engagement cfr word that's well i think in this case the corporatists are advocating a policy probably less likely to lead to war but um but which is well, which is engagement. I mean, you, you know, you, you uh, the the China hawks uh, want to be more willing to use actual military force, among other things, against China. And you're against military force, and you're against engagement. No, I'm not against engagement. Oh, okay. I thought you said the corporatists were for engagement. Well, I'm I'm in, I'm a globalist. I mean, you're, you're, you're saying that they're driven by corporatist incentives or whatever, I guess, but, but I'm, I'm a globalist and, 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 and a lot of corporatists are globalists and, and that's, there are, there are left of center, uh, globalists. There are even far left of center globalists, but, um, the, uh. It seems to me you were saying that engagement wouldn't work. You weren't saying that. Maybe no, I was not saying spoke. that. Maybe I misheard. Also, we're using corporatists wrong. I was mainly you're- just backing off from my initial claim that, uh, the blob is anti-engagement. They're not. The blob is kind of split on this, and there's a uh, yeah. the um. But I wanted to revisit well a couple of things on China. Like last week, you were dismissive of the idea, my idea, that it was a bad thing that Trump had closed the Houston consulate, claiming it was a hotbed of spying, and that uh, because for one thing, that led the Chinese to close a, a U.S. consulate. <clears throat> a couple of things have happened since then. Um, which may make you want to reconsider your views. I'm not demanding it, but see what you think. First, The Intercept uh, published a piece uh, skeptical of the idea that, that the Houston consulate was some kind of hotbed of spying. It was written by somebody who used to work at the Houston newspaper and had covered this, for the whole issue for some right. period of time. 
Uh, but more important, uh, and, and of course, you know, consulates in general are information gathering things, and many of our consulates uh, are involved in things that it would probably be fair to call spying. <clears throat> now, the other thing I learned is that the consulate of ours at the Chinese closed. It's in Western China, and it is the one that had been the best source of information about what's happening to the Uyghurs, what's happening to Tibet. So we're going to know less about what's going on in those two realms than we did before. So I ask you, Mickey Kaus, are you still fine with the policy that led us to be blinded to, more blinded to what's going on with the Uyghurs? Well, and yes, the, let's see what evidence they have on this guy they've now arrested. Which but, guy? Um, well, leave that aside. Can... Leave that aside. Do you not think it's a downside that we're going to know less about what's happening in Tibet and with the Uyghurs. It's a downside, but, you know, I think we'll know plenty about what's happening with the Uyghurs. I think we already know enough about what's happening with the Uyghurs. I'll bet if, China we learn more through up, the... if China lets up on the Uyghurs, I think they'll let us know. Well, actually, it turns out that they a number of experts, uh, even, even kind of hawkish ones, think they've been closing some of the camps. That's the good news. The bad news is that some of the people in them are going to prison and some are um, are going into some kind of forced labor situation. I mean, it's not like it's not like literally slave labor labor because they get to keep their wages. But apparently not everyone in the closed camps gets to go home. But but there is more and more thinking that actually they are closing some of the camps. If that's true, I don't know why China isn't advertising that, but. Well, they would have to admit the camps existed. Well, uh, they've admitted that. They have this yeah. euphemistic, you know, they call them re-education camps. Uh, and, and I mean, the, um, there is re-education of a kind. Well, um, the, it, it's weird. My, um, just one more point of this Robin Wright article. Um, I, uh, um, uh, my stockbroker claimed that, and I, I, I don't think, I'm not sure this is public information that, his is this the one who hit. called in the middle of the last our last dialogue? Yes. So that wasn't it wasn't a, a, an irreparable breach when you said shut up and go away I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. No, that just enhanced my my status. Yeah. Um but um apparently that somebody's done a study on how much it would cost America to relocate all our supply lines away from China. And the answer was a trillion dollars. Now I don't know if it's a trillion dollars a year or a one-time uh, one-time expense, but uh, if it's a one-time expense, it certainly seems worth it. If it's a trillion a year, but, but that's not the biggest cost. I, the, biggest the biggest cost, cost is that economic disengagement makes war more likely and makes it less likely that we will cooperate to solve genuinely important uh, global problems, of which there are more than I would say the average American is aware of. That's my view. Beyond global warming, what are they? Oh God! Global warming is the—it's not the least of them, but it's—it's it's the one that—that that is actually getting as much attention as it deserves. The others are, um, you know, uh, just to take one: biotech, genetic engineering. Um, I mean, this is—we're heading into a very brave new world. I mean, the irony is uh, among the the what are almost certainly falsehoods being put out about China uh, as part of Trump's blame China strategy is that this virus emerged from a bioweapons program. Um, that's Did you read also, the article? 
You read the article in the Wall Street Journal? No. By who? His name began with an M. He's a was actually a former Democratic official, I think, that gave him credence, I think. Uh, he said, well, look, the virus originated a thousand miles south of this lab, and then somehow it leaks into the public right next to this lab. Isn't that awfully suspicious? And he basically said it's an accidental leak. Wait, why do they mean it originated? Where did it originate? Apparently, they, they've discovered that the virus did not start from bats in Wuhan. They've located an area a thousand miles to the south where some miners were infected with a bat virus. Uh, and then they brought the virus back to Wuhan to study. And all of a sudden, people in Wuhan get infected. That is mighty suspicious. I'll have to take a look. I would say the Wall Street Journal editorial page is something of a home for cranks. I mean, it really is. You would, you would concede. You you would concede that I'm sure in in a, in a more sober moment, which apparently. We but I forget what the argument for why it couldn't possibly have escaped from the lab was. People who know it's now these are two separate issues. It could have escaped from the lab. That's not the same as it being genetically engineered as part of a bioweapons program. Virologists so guy, are pretty much unanimous just from looking at the code, the DNA, that this could not be a genetically engineered virus. Okay, this, that this, doesn't this, mean it didn't escape from a lab that's actually studying bat viruses. Okay, this the, the latter is all this article claims. He does it does not claim that it's a bioweapon. Oh well, okay, separate issue. My, my point is uh, the stuff about bioweapons is almost certainly bullshit. Um, and it is, but it is part of this campaign to, to permanent, to estrange us big time from China. And yet the bioweapon threat is a real threat. They may be working on them. Any number of nations may be working on them. And that could be truly catastrophic for the planet. And the only way to keep it from happening is with an unprecedented level of, uh, global, um, coordination. And cooperation, and that's the kind of thing that doesn't uh, happen. And, and you know, if I described the kind of treaty that would be necessary to really keep this from happening, you'd say, that's too visionary. We've never had anything like that. It, that's true. And I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm just telling you that the alternative to that is to court actual catastrophe. And the chances, however low the chances are of such a treaty, they are lower by virtue of all this stuff you favor in in the way of disengagement with China. It seems, it seems to me that the chances of, of this treaty, and I can't imagine how intrusive that treaty would have to be, uh, uh, are lower than the chances of a democratic revolution in China that gives us a more amenable regime. That's what you have to, that's what you have to argue. You have to argue that there's zero chance practically of, of a uh, Russia style a Soviet Union style collapse in China. Why do you need, a, why do you need a democratic regime to do a treaty well the i guess i i guess the argument is the world is a it would be a uh a a more peaceful place if the communist party didn't have to constantly uh engender foreign crisis and foreign opposition in order to maintain itself in power you know what's funny is that uh just last week uh russian and u.s officials met about the issue of space weapons as i mentioned last Week, the Russians apparently tested an, an actual anti-satellite satellite, which is alarming. 
The Russians were in favor of talking seriously about a treaty banning weapons in space. The Americans were not. The Trump administration wants to rely on, quote, norms, which means we want to develop them and and just be better at destroying shit in space than other countries. So there you have a case where it's the authoritarian country that's not very democratic, that at least ostensibly wants to do a treaty. And what, you know, the, quote, democratic country, the United States... Uh, doesn't want to do the treaty. So your your whole premise that uh, we have to do regime change in China or something before we can get serious about international issues no, I, I is, say is that is the crazy. chances of regime change are just as good as the chances of your damn treaty. So you. So have what to, is that? What to, is the point? I should give up on what? What is so? So we should. The disengage. point is. The point is if, if if the Trump policy is like Reagan's policy with the Cold War, it's actually going to bring about a collapse of the regime. That would be a good thing, and you have to argue that that is very, very far fetched. I don't get it. I mean, what do you what are you saying? Why it it's, it's not an argument? You, if you're arguing that, in spite of what I just said, if if you accept what I just said, that engagement makes solving critical world problems more likely, you may not accept it. But if you accept it and you still want to argue for disengagement, I think you have to to argue that the disengagement will, in some roundabout way, make the ultimate solution of global problems more likely. And so far as I can tell, your roundabout way is regime change in China that leads to a democratic country. Is that the logic? And then we engage with that country, yes. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be. We are the world's, in some ways, leading resistor. We are a democratic country. We have done as much as any country uh, over the last 20 years to impede the, the serious attack on global problems. You don't and now think China the- has not been China has not been a role model by any means. But your your claim that authoritarian nations don't do treaties is crazy. Look at look at Soviet Union during the Cold War. I didn't say authoritarian. Well, then why do we need re- democratic regime change? You, the treaty that you're outlining is, as you, by your own lights, very, very far-fetched and a low percentage shot. And we would have a better chance of getting that treaty if we had a different regime in China. I mean, wh- how, I, how, I have how, no idea how much what... lower, how much lower would the global temperature be if there were a regime change in China? I, it would plummet. The whole world would be a much pe- more peaceful place. I'm not saying I they would give up their national. I just think you are so naive. I'm not saying they would give up their national ambitions. I'm saying the temperature would be dramatically lowered, and all these forms of cooperation would be much easier. I just think you're so naive. I mean, America is a democracy, completely dysfunctional, completely irresponsible actor on the international stage, not only on Trump but under previous administrations in various ways. Um, the, there are various democracies in Europe, Eastern Europe especially, that have taken a, an authoritarian turn, aren't, aren't, uh, especially, um, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, illiberal democracies. There is such a thing. Not only that, but our, our several recent experiments in changing regimes so that the countries would become democratic have been complete disasters because order doesn't magically ensue when you do that. And I, I just don't. I you're just. You don't think things would be better if the Tiananmen Square people had succeeded? Well, it's a tough counterfactual. I wish they had uh, things. Things, uh, yeah. If you imagine a, a smooth path, that could have happened. I'm not saying I don't favor it. I'm just saying 
that your assumption that we can't have any serious cooperation among nations until every country is a democracy is inconsistent with the past, you, inconsistent with the present, and doesn't make logical sense. Do you, I didn't say that. I said the chances, your low, your low percentage chance of getting this treaty has to be compared with the equally low percentage chance of getting regime change. And do you, do you deny that it would be easier to easier to engage if China was democratic? You think it would be harder to engage? It's possible. I think the chances um, of some kind of... I mean, what are you even talking about? That disengagement makes their democratization more likely? Because I got news for you. It makes it less likely. And this is well, what, this is what people Reagan don't understand. War argument. This is what people don't understand. It, it's hilarious to listen to Steve Bannon say... You know, the Chinese people are on our side and we're on their side and then advocate all of this stuff that Trump is doing, the, these antagonistic things toward China, which I guarantee you, it is beyond doubt are intensifying the Chinese people's support for their authoritarian ruler. That's how it works. So Isn't that the same argument that was made against Reagan in the Cold War? Don't um, do this thing in Afghanistan. It'll just it'll just solidify the Russian, harden the Russian spine against us? First of all, the idea, first of all, Carter started the Afghanistan policy. Secondly, well, I the idea that that was a critical factor, it may have accelerated the demise of the Soviet Union, but I got news for you. That thing was doomed. I mean, I was in uh, the leading department store in what is now St. Petersburg in uh, in the early 90s. And this was just, you know, right as kind of the Cold War was ending. It was still the Soviet Union. It wasn't yet Russia. We went to the Consumer Electronics Department. And in the display cases, there were all these vacuum tubes. And the deal is you would buy them to go home and repair your TV. They didn't have solid-state electronics, which we did by then. If you went to where we would have bought washing machines, they had washboards. That's what people bought, washboards at the finest. I'm, I'm telling you, the economy was a complete disaster. The, the, the system was unsustainable. Those, and and if the cost of Afghanistan accelerated the demise uh, by by a few years, I'm not sure that was worth the blowback that it eventually came from that, which includes probably 9-11. But um, anyway. The, those vacuum tubes are probably precious. You can't get a good vacuum tube now. I have a I have a I have a Fender amp that uses vacuum tubes, and I don't quite know what to do with it because the vacuum tubes are so valuable. You're worried that people will steal them. Are they actually better? I, that's yes, what they sound better. So you have yeah, such a fine ear that you can. Oh, no, I can't tell, but people can tell. But do how do we know they can tell? This is what I always wonder about these. It's like when they actually do the, the tests with the connoisseurs and, and don't show them the labels of the wine. It turns out they have no idea what Well, wines. supposedly they have transistors that are as good as vacuum tubes now, but the initial solid-state amps, but, even I could tell, were crappier than the vacuum tube amps. But these are the same um, people who say that, they, that vinyl is better than, than digital, right? The vinyl correct. album's better. Correct. Um, okay, I'm anyway, my hobby horse. Anyway, it seems... Yeah, it seems... We've, that's the, 
you, you just don't you don't accept the framework of the argument. You don't you don't. Ex- no, it's a neocon <laughs> argument. It, ha- it hasn't. It's brought only sorrow in the past that we need to turn all countries into democracies before we can do anything else. No, I just didn't say we could before we could do anything else. I say it would help, and you have to 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 estimate the pos- probability of that versus the probability of what you you advocate, which you yourself admit is low probability. Yeah, but anyway. all of, but for me to buy the idea that you need to compare those two probabilities entails my buying assumptions of yours. I'm not buying, but we should leave it at that. Um, let me tell you, final thing on the list of Trump's perfect storm. Yeah. This is the dark horse. This could do it if it turns out that carefully controlled experiments show that Stella Emanuel is right. Uh, and you think it? You think uh, could you think that's possible? The reason it's possible is because there there have been good randomized control, at least one good randomized control experiment show, that seems to show hydroxychloroquine queen doesn't work. Only retrospective studies suggest it does. But I don't think there's been a good study of the big three that she recommends. Zinc and azithromycin. Well, that's or the thing. You need the zinc. Right. This, 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 uh, doctor I happen to know, Kelly Victory, has been saying this for months, saying it's pointless to study without the zinc. The whole point is that the chloroquine gets the zinc into the cells. So all the studies without zinc don't dispute that so yeah, yes I, I, we agree on that there's zinc zinc is the one possibility of saving hydrochloroquine can you imagine i mean i don't know how much it would help him electorally maybe or not at all but it would be a tough pill for the for the media to swallow well they'd have to try to cover it up but there were some other things like i remember the early days of hydrochloroquine there were scientists from china who said you don't want the hydrochloroquine you want the old chloroquine with some added Ingredient, and I forgot what the ingredient was. Anyway, there, that would help. Also, the sex with demons would help. That always helps. If it in my turns experience. out that that's totally safe, this, you oh, know, yes, trust me. That's good for Alex Walker, too, because as you know, Please. if you had done your simple Googling last, last week, you would have learned that Alex Walker believes that they're reptilian demons also. So, they're demons? A, actually, I thought they were lizard Lizard, lizards, people. demons. I mean, it's the same. No, they're very different. Same sort of thing. I've trust uh, me. There's a, there's a difference. You're trying to complicate my world. Always here. go with the demons in this case. Yeah, I don't know. The um, what did you think by the way of Facebook uh, pulling that video and and uh, I, well, they deleted Trump's tweet, retweeted. This is the woman with the I guess Jamaican accent or something, who who uh was part of a number of doctors assembled by, it turns out the Tea Party Patriots funded them, uh, these doctors to, to show up and give this press conference. But um, I don't so much, I don't so much mind suppressing people who believe in sex with demons. I do mind suppressing any evidence that chloroquine might work on the grounds that the FDA has declared that it's ineffective. That seems to me then we have government bureaucrats dictating our speech. So, uh, you know, the, the, the crackdown is coming. I mean, they, 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 you know, they've, they've deboosted Breitbart, then maybe they chickened out. They, they temporarily censored Heather McDonald, who's very, you know, about that reminds a, me. That reminds me. There was an actually good point made on Steve Bannon's podcast. 
this week. Okay. And it was that this, uh, you know, the social credit score, is that what it's called that China does with yes. all its people? And, and it does a really intrusive version of that with, in deciding which Uyghurs go into these right. camps. Um, somebody made the point that we have a version of that kind of, it's just been privatized. I mean, you know, the, 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 the and, and it's not nearly as fine grained, but it is true that, you know, Facebook and Twitter and so on are deciding who's been such an egregiously bad citizen that they are expelled from the discussion. And, uh, you know, in many, it's in a lot of ways not comparable, but it's, the, the comparison is worth thinking about. Right. Um, um, do you, do you believe that, uh, the head of Google did not know about the censorship of conservatives and he'll look into it? That's what he said at the hearings. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, uh, how, how engaged he is. I didn't pay that much attention to the hearings. Did you I, watch them? Uh, the, these are the no, four. No, I didn't. I figure, I figure that anything, I figure there'll be a shit show and anything that, uh, good that comes out of this i'll hear do you think microsoft is like deeply offended that they don't even get invited to these things anymore did they not get invited no i think it was like it was like wasn't it amazon google facebook and twitter did they invite twitter i don't think I don't microsoft know. was there um no i've ignored that it's sorry sad. uh but it's um there, the, the, you, you can, you can tell that there, the, you know, the pre-election crackdown is coming. Um, I'll, you want, I just hope, I just hope to escape. Want to hear a quick connection between the social media stuff and the China stuff? Another kind of connection? Sure. So before we started taping, uh, there was a story about how Trump is going to compel ByteDance to sell, um, TikTok. There, or at least there the American version of TikTok or something. He's going to make them divest. I, I gather he's going to say you can't operate TikTok in America unless you spin it off, maybe even to Americans, put it in American hands. TikTok is like the social media rage right now for people between 80 right. and 90 years younger than us. Right. I understand. Um, you mean it's not Quibi or Quibble or whatever it is? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's um, down, that's what an embarrassment to our generation. I I had nothing to do with that. I just want to emphasize that. I don't know anybody who had anything to do with it. <laughs> I don't even remember um, the name. Could be quibble. Could be quibbit. The um uh that doesn't bother me. It seems to me TikTok is a Trojan horse. <laughs> you just assume all of the talking points. Like here's another one you hear. Like Bannon's always saying like Zoom when you're on Zoom, it's going straight to the CCP. Now, let's be clear. Zoom is an American com company run by a Chinese-American guy, founded by a Chinese-American guy. It's true that they have servers in China. It could be that the CCP uses that to get access. It's not impossible. But Bannon has no evidence. I assume, though, that that amount of evidence is enough for you in that case, too? I think I thought the evidence for TikTok was a little stronger. What is it? I mean, it's a Chinese company, and 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 the the party does have the legal right to use companies in various ways. That's true. Well, there you go. There's a higher probability than with Zoom, but still. Um, as, while we're on canceling, um, it was troubling that they're trying to cancel Lawrence Mead at NYU, 
Uh, Remind me. A, Lawrence Mead is a, he's a guy who was an early welfare reformer. Actually, when I was writing my book, it was very annoying because every idea I had, he had actually had a couple months earlier. So I did the thing which you always do, which is you give him credit, but you hide the credit in like the armpit of the paragraph in the third sentence. Totally. So it's really hard to do. So he was that guy. He was the guy who had my ideas. And you refer to him as in, one scholar. No, no I, I named him. He's named three times in my book. But in fact, he um, he was a very important, he, he, whatever you think of welfare for him, in encouraging work over welfare. And he's veered now into, uh, you know, the problem with poverty is cultural, the, you know, the problems. And he, he's paints with a bit of a broad brush. It's like, Blacks and Latinos have this culture. Well, it seems to me the black Latino culture is very different, but it's not crazy to think the culture is important. He's basically being canceled. He's being opposed. You know, there are petitions going around denouncing him, which is fine. But then there are also a pressure on NYU to strip him of tenure, which is not fine. So he's saying that so, there are cultural differences, like on average, between American. Latinos, American, and so on, American blacks, and and other Americans, and that's an explanation. Was he of poverty. was he was he inartful in the way he put it? I mean, it's true there are big I differences. He was in all these I didn't actually read the paper because it was behind a paywall. I only read the summary. And so, wait, I'm summary, maybe I, se- Okay, go ahead. The summary seems somewhat unnuanced. The nuanced but, version, the nuanced version would be William Julius Wilson investigates. Latinos who come to Chicago versus uh, native African Americans in Chicago, and the Latinos all manage to make it to the jobs in the suburbs, and they all they are they on the upward escalator, and they work hard, and they're succeeding, and the American blacks are not succeeding, and maybe there is a cultural difference there that explains the relative success of one over the other, and there was a brief period when Wilson seemed to entertain this idea, and then he. Uh, then he reneged on it. Um, then, then he, you don't hear him saying that anymore, but that's a plausible explanation. You know, there are cultural differences that have an effect. And why are, why are, why are Caribbean blacks in New York so successful versus, uh, non-Caribbean blacks? The, you know, the, the weird thing is you go to Al Sharpton's church in Harlem, where I've actually been once. Was he preaching? Ca- Was he preaching? He was preaching, and he had Mayor Koch oh. there, and that's why I guess why I was there. Um, uh, they're all Caribbeans. They're not native blacks. They're 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 all they're all Caribbean ladies in their flowered garments. Uh, it's 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 a weird subpopulation. That's not what you'd expect, and that is successful economically. You're saying they have a care. I think Caribbean blacks have a higher income than whites in certain parts of New York. So maybe I missed this, but was what was Lawrence Mead's punishment so far? Lawrence Mead's punishment is, is just that he's under assault, but the the, the press mm. there's pressure to strip him of tenure. Oh, that seems to me uh, like a card you should be very reluctant to pay. The, uh, the, the, the play the, the whole idea behind tenure is uh, no. But, I, but there's, I, I'd want I'd I'd, I'd want. You'd have to go further than that to to have your tenure stripped. There, there's this whole um, there's this whole impetus among woke uh, agitators that 
old people really need to give up their jobs and get out of the way so we can appoint young African-American and people of color. Well, it gets back uh, to the question of whether that's what the cancel culture thing is really about. It's just gen- gen- generational warfare, and we're just going to be slowly Well, that's certainly part of it. The uh, At the L.A. Times, there's pressure on, you know, old non-people of culture to retire so that the young people non- of color non- can non- be people of to take color. their jobs. You, you mean non-people of color. You said culture. Yeah, color. They have culture. Um, anyway, so there is a the generational warfare thing is embedded in it, but I I don't think it's generational warfare that does, uh, you know, white young young aspiring white people a whole lot of good. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, elsewhere in cancellation news, you you read that John Muir, who founded the Sierra Club, is being uh, in some sense that I forget the details of disowned by the Sierra Club. Yeah, you know Muir Muir Woods. You've been to Muir. Have yes, you been to Muir that, Woods? No, but that that didn't. I mean, you think that's that, okay? No, it just didn't impact me. You know, I, John Muir was never a huge hero of mine. So I've never thought much about him. But uh, and then Flannery O'Connor, they they unnamed some dormitory at some college. Really? Yeah, but I mean, what what it all has in common is just these people. I mean, here's the thing. Here here is why I maybe harp on this. So I. These people lived in a time when you really shouldn't be very surprised if they had reactionary or flat-out racist views, because lots and lots of people did. And I think maybe one reason, um, you know, I mean, woke culture is, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but pretty much against judging people in the context of their time. Like, they don't want to hear that Woodrow Wilson was a Southerner born before the Civil War and was probably less racist than the average Southerner born before the Civil War. Um, the, uh, and, and I wonder if one, if this is related to another kind of tenet, I think, well, a common belief in that same realm of wokeness, um, which is that there hasn't really been any moral progress. There's no, like, you can't, like, if you talk, casually about moral progress we've seen you do you are inclined to get into trouble with some people including a number of people um in this group and i i think maybe they're they're related because to acknowledge that basically probably everyone was saying whatever the hell john muir said back then i don't know what it was um would be to suggest that wow we've come a long way i mean there there really has been significant progress, at least in terms it, it, of what you're allowed to say, whether or not it reflects what's in your heart. It's it's weird that John Lewis's funeral hasn't put a damper on that because, A, he was very integrationist, so I don't think he would be happy with the Washington Post deciding to declare whites a tribe of their own and, and capitalize whites. Well, uh, And that sort of, that's sort of not the society he envisioned. And I also think he would be completely honest that there's been tremendous moral progress. Oh, there's a video of him that was circulating where he says to people who say there hasn't been change, I would just encourage you to look back at the shit I dealt with, basically. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of, uh, this is not totally unrelated. So Herman Cain died. Did you right. see the video of him? It was kind of, it was it was uh, poignant and 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 uh, kind of endearing when he described when he was a young kid and he and his brother were in some department store or something. And they told their mother they wanted to get a drink of water and she said, "Well, make sure you drink out of the colored fountains." 
And so they went there to the fountains and like they looked around, nobody was looking. <laughs> and so they each drank out of the white fountain and then they each drank out of the colored fountain and they looked at each other and said, it's the same water. It's like, <laughs> why, why did, why are we doing, why do they go through all this trouble? He was a he was a charismatic guy. I didn't like the role he played in the Clinton health care bill. I forget. Remember he was he was the he was so charismatic. He was the lead spokesman against it, the Herminator. How we're going to destroy small business? Um, uh, but it, it turned out he was a person of substance. He, um, uh, I know people who worked in his campaign. The the one thing I have that hasn't come out is. People on the campaign think that he was, his family was threatened physically and that that's why he left the campaign. Hmm. Uh, uh, which I hadn't heard before. And he was, he was the, um, he showed up at Andrew Breitbart's funeral and, uh, was, you know, people were swarming around him and he was behaving very well. So I, that's all I know about him. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he'd accomplished a lot in his life. He was an actual, rocketry guy in the army uh you know it was not easy to turn around his business the way he did he was a person of some substance and um it's a shame that he's just being known as a guy who didn't wear a mask mm. um yeah like so he may have yeah i should add he died of uh died of covid and he may have gotten it in oklahoma at the we don't know i guess but at the trump rally is that right he was at the trump yes. rally. Mm. um the other the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention is this uh, this uh, s- uh, war on the suburbs issue that Trump is ham handily trying to raise. Hey, I've stopped the war on the suburbs. You can you can have your American dream, housewives. I mean, oh, no affordable I mean, housing. How, that one. Why, why doesn't he have any subtlety? This guy, um, where he said, I've, yes. I'm, "I am sparing yes. you of affordable housing." Yes, and apparently it's a it's a it's a regulation that was put in by the Democrats, but I think probably endorsed by some Republicans too. Uh, that basically gives HUD the power to say, "Sorry, you're not getting any federal housing aid uh, because you're failing to integrate your suburb to the extent that it satisfies us." And they rejected 62% of applications, which is a stunningly high rate. Um, and as somebody who, you know, I, I wrote a book saying we need to integrate suburbs by class, so I can hardly oppose all attempts to integrate suburbs by class. That's the part where people said, oh, it fell apart. That's where your book becomes hopelessly naive. You'll never integrate suburbs by class. But there is a way to do it. Um, this, this way, it didn't, it wasn't saying you have to take public housing projects because nobody should have to take public housing projects. But it was, uh, it was basically saying you have to take the housing projects we want to cram down your throat, even if they're private Section 8 projects. And it mixed it up with the whole issue of race discrimination, uh, which I think is unfortunate. The, the simple thing to do is just to require suburbs to build small apartments that that aren't going to go for a whole lot of money and enforce the anti-discrimination laws so that people who don't have a whole lot of money can move into those apartments uh well wait but don't, don't you just get smaller numbers of people living in them i mean what you mean a one bedroom instead of a three bedroom then you get a single person a rich single person living in them 
Sometimes, or sometimes you get a poor single person, or sometimes you get a poor family. Uh, I mean, that, that seems I, like a pretty blunt instrument. Uh, it's it, it, but it's I don't know how blunt an instrument it is. It's it's um. I I live in Beverly Hills, right? World I'm, famous I'm, I'm, rich city. Yes. They, on my block, there are small apartments where you might think, with you know satellite dishes, you might think. You're not in a rich area. I'm not saying you would think you were in a trailer park. We're above the trailer park, but there are people there who do not seem to be rich people. They wait, seem to wait, be working does a satellite class people. dish signify low income? Um, it's. I think it's a. It's 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 one of the stereotypes of people in trailer parks with satellite dishes. Yes. Well, that's because trailer parks don't have cable, though. Um, well, these people don't have cable either. <laughs> Apparently not, but it seems to be a choice they're making the, uh, rather than something imposed on them by poverty. Trust me, if you looked at this area, you would not say, this is rich Beverly Hills. You would say, this is an ordinary working class American neighborhood. There yeah, but it's not the have, same as affordable have, housing. I'm, I mean, not saying that there, I'm not saying there's a car parked on the front lawn. Okay, well, well, with affordable housing. I'm not housing, saying there isn't. With affordable housing, you get some very low-income people. Yeah, I have a very close relative who lives in affordable housing. um, What you mean? If government-owned affordable housing, or government—it's branded affordable housing, or just affordable units in an other in an otherwise—it's in California, affordable building. I don't really know the mechanics. I I don't know the governmental issues, but it's it's in California, and it has apparently exactly the same criteria or the the same. Um, rent structure as the affordable housing here where I live on the East Coast, which is that the rent is set as a fraction of your income. So if you lose your job as, or, or kind of retire as this person did and all you have is social security, your rent, your rent goes down or something. So the rent is set as a fraction of income. And then the criteria for getting in is having a very low income. Mm. And, and, uh, that's affordable housing, and I'm telling you, the people living across from you with those satellite dishes would not qualify. Probably not, but the, um, uh, you know that that's what the 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 right wingers object to, and it, and and it's a certain there's a certain logic to it. I mean, I don't think anybody should you should be able to discriminate against against people on AFDC and TANF. That's just not a, uh, you know, it's it's historically not a group of people. Uh, you necessarily want poor people is one thing, poor workers is one thing, but people who don't work is another thing. So, wait, you said uh, you should be able to discriminate against them? Yes, you should be able to discriminate against people who don't work and who are on the dole. And if all you all if all your entire income in your working age is, you know, the Section Eight voucher itself, that itself is a problem. So you're saying uh, they shouldn't be eligible for you shouldn't cram housing. well you shouldn't be able to cram welfare recipients. Into suburbs, yes, uh, and you certainly shouldn't be able to cram public housing because public housing you can't even evict drug dealers because of due pro- special due process rules that affect the government action. But even private, even private, uh, you know, outfits that have to take welfare recipients, I think, is a problem. You should just have a lot of cheap apartments all over the place. But there and are that welfare. means you're going to have to change zoning laws. So if you just if you just crammed zoning changes down suburbs' throats, I'd be for it. But the problem is that this regulation allows them to do a lot more. Okay, just one last question. There are welfare recipients, I assume, who don't have the realistic option of working. 
may have to do with how many kids we, they have to raise or, or, or some uh, disability they have or something else. Well, disability, I would say, is different. Uh, and there is a Social Security disability program, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the idea that the idea that uh, that a single mother has too many kids to work, uh, I don't have that much sympathy for. Uh, okay. I don't think you should have to. I don't think communities should have to have people who could work and don't work, uh, you know, in their communities. Uh, that's probably will get me canceled. The um, yeah, I'm just going to step back and let that happen. I'm not the gonna, other. I'm the not. other interesting thing is, well, luckily nobody's read my book, so they're. Cancel, you know, they have to read it before they can cancel me. So. I actually don't think they do. I, um, I think it's a lot the, easier uh, than that. The um, all the bad ideas came from Larry Mead. It's you know, it's he all is his fault. he is but, like kind of like Jesus. Yeah, he he, yeah. he is suffering for your sins. The other thing they don't point out is they think it's all. If you read Maggie Haberman's Twitter feed in the New York Times, it's all he's reenacting the wars in New York. Uh, where, you know, the suburbs resisted public housing. Well, we had the same issue in California. There was a famous debate between Bobby Kennedy and Gene McCarthy right before the California primary when they were the two main candidates. And it was a model of illiterate debate. It was incredibly good debate. And McCarthy basically said, we need to get uh, poor minorities out of the ghetto and into the suburbs if we want to help them advance. An argument that's still made today, and in fact, behind this initiative that Trump just canceled, and Bobby Kennedy said, "No, we don't. You're implying there's something wrong with living in the ghetto. We want to help them where they are." So Bobby Kennedy very smartly sent a a, a two pronged message. One, he said, "I'm for black power. I'm not. There's nothing wrong with living in the ghetto." And he also sent a message to white suburbs: "We're not going to cram these people down your throat." So that was Bobby Kennedy raising the same issue the Trump raised. He's just doing it much more subtly. Well, how uh, should Trump do it? If if what Trump wants to convey to suburbanites is, hey, I'm going to end or restrict affordable housing, how should he say it? Well, I I mean, I always believe in doing the right thing and saying, look, we're we're repealing this initiative, but we have a uh, we have a more a more subtle initiative that's just going to encourage building cheaper apartments. Oh, so he should change the, the policy. Apparatus. He he should adopt the, yeah, the, but, the Mickey but, Cow satellite an article, dish. There was an article in the City Journal saying unfortunately Trump is not into subtlety at this point. He, uh, so uh he just repealed the whole yeah. And uh, of course this was taken as a as a racist dog whistle, needless to say. Um But it was but it wasn't taken as a racist dog whistle when Bobby Kennedy did it. That's my point. Okay. Although some people did take it that way. It was but, a different um, time. So the uh, this week, Joe Biden is going to choose a vice president, right? Vice presidential candidate? I think it's next week. Yeah, this coming didn't, week. Didn't you say the first week of August? Well, today is the 31st. This coming July. week. Yeah, he yeah. gave himself all of next week, I think. Well, who's it going to be? God, I don't know. Um, don't, don't you think either... Kamala Harris or Susan Rice? It seems like a lot of the people trying to undermine Kamala Harris are rallying around Susan Rice. Right. It's I'm I'm with Rice in that if that's the choice. But um, the the problem with Rice is uh, a she's not like like you know the top 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 public servant you'd want. She's just okay. And b 
it means we'll rehash Benghazi and unmasking and we're she, gonna have she all had that. pretty limited involvement in Benghazi. I mean, she went on a morning talk show. And, well, that's enough. And her talking point turned out to be wrong. But but I think she can say, look, it's what it's the intelligence I had. I think that's probably true. I don't I don't think she knowingly lied. We can have a hearing on whether it's the intelligence she had. I, think I don't know. Been Who, that do you really think how many Americans care about Benghazi? I mean, they seriously. don't. But the, these idiot Republicans are going to make a big deal of it. Well, so it's going to be a distracting issue. I encourage that if it's counterproductive. Now, um, here's my take on Susan Rice. Like I heard this podcast uh, with uh, Ben Rhodes and Tommy Veter, two Obama admin alumni, and they're out. Out campaigning for her. I mean, she's the one. And and of course, there's natural self-interest. They would like to have a vice president who they personally worked with, right. wouldn't we all? But they made a not terrible case. The strongest point being that she has a lot of different kinds of experience, including a lot of executive branch experience. I mean, that's, uh, you know, given Biden's, what should we call it, situation, condition? I mean, she could, the vice president could become someone who's counted on, who, who plays a quasi chief of staff function. We don't, I mean, it wouldn't be a chief of staff, but it would be somebody who gets things done from the, for the president in various realms. Um, so that matters. I guess the thing that the most haunting thing for me is, um, when, uh, I was on a, a, a listserv. It was a, it was a, a, a that was around a particular foreign policy issue. A lot of people on the listserv were, they had been in government, they were Washington think tank types, and one of them said something clearly, subtext was clearly derogatory about Susan Rice. I emailed him privately and said, why, what's the trouble problem with Susan Rice? And he said, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. Right. And that's a very, tr- tr- I mean, Trump is a grotesque version of that, but but that is Trump. He well, does He doesn't know what he doesn't right, know. My my standard, and you know, I'm not informed in foreign policy. Is that Condi Rice? I disagree with her, but she's a first rate, a first rate public servant, and uh, Susan Rice is a second rate public servant. She's just the B team. She's the if you grade, grade her on an A B C D scale, she's a B plus. I do think she might strike. I mean, look between the two of them, Kamala Harris would. Play the VP in the Aaron Sorkin movie, obviously. But I think Susan Rice may strike more Americans as the kind of person they'd want in charge if Biden weren't. Um, well, she's much more, she's just a much more appealing person. I mean, oh, oh Kamala Harris has a kind of appeal to a lot of people, I think. Not, we had a primary, Bob. I didn't see those people. They didn't vote for her. They hated her. Um, they didn't African hate Americans her. hate her. African Americans don't like her. Whites don't they like don't? her. They don't. Is that a Indians like her? Is that an established fact? Well, she is half Indian. Do you know where the, she, the name Kamala? She wasn't appears? wildly popular among African Americans. Can you Biden name, was wildly popular. Can you name the literary classic in which the name Kamala looms large? No. Herman Hesse's Siddhartha, the female no. character, is named Kamala. Well, there you go. But um, <laughs> you're, she's you're just not, not an appealing person. She's just not addition. an appealing person, and this this weird plastic surgery she's had doesn't. Improver. So I think Americans would like Susan Rice much better. Wait, this is hearsay. I haven't heard this. You have no evidence. There's visual evidence. Look at her. She She doesn't look like she's had plastic surgery. (laughs) She looks like she's had Botox. Well, that's different. But she doesn't look like that. I was counting that. I was counting on that. But um, 
She's at least had Botox. These women, Nancy Pelosi, one day should look like an 18-year-old cheerleader. She does something. I'm sorry. It's not a natural process. The um, I just want to say that I disapprove of what you're saying on grounds I I can't quite articulate, but I'm sure are widely shared by whoever the the people are who are going to cancel your ass, and I'm not going to be here for you, okay? The other thing thing they're going to bring up about Susan Rice is her... uh, stay in the Sudan when I believe she was America's ambassador to the Sudan and that was the time when bin Laden was in the Sudan and we let him escape uh, and so there's a huge right wing that's not a good resume that, that's not a good resume item let Osama but, bin Laden escape well right that's but uh, but our uh, our friend Ruth Shalit wrote an article where she went in you know thinking maybe I can nail Susan Rice and came out thinking no, this case against her is completely bogus. So, uh, I tend to think the case against her is bogus, if Ruth says so, but, uh, it's another crazy issue that the right woman will raise and waste all our time about. Now, finally, there's the all-important question of whether she opposed the Iraq war. She claimed she did, although, oddly, she didn't say so publicly at the time. Well, she now, obviously didn't oppose the Libya mistake, which was no, not equally at all. consequential. Now, apparently Biden, I think Biden is said to oppose both that and Obama's Afghanistan surge, which would be good if true. But but our friend Steve Chapman, the Chicago Tribune columnist, wrote a column trying to establish that she did, in fact, Susan Rice did, in fact, oppose the Iraq war. Is you, there, be, you be the is judge. There any evidence that Biden actually opposed the Iraq war? He voted for it. Oh, I, I, I think he supported it. I, I, I think yeah. he may have, in a, in a, in a senior moment, said something to the effect that he didn't or something, but I don't think there's, I think he's, every opportunity he had to vote in favor of it or speak in, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any, any doubt that he supported the Iraq war. Um, um, so, and of course he's a proponent of the partition of Iraq, which, uh, at the moment, that did, at the time he wrote that op-ed, he co-authored it with somebody. It didn't strike me as the craziest idea. I mean, it was you, the place was falling apart. You think he's renounced that view? He I don't think he has to. Together? I don't think he has to. Who cares? Oh, sure. He's not going to try to split Iraq up at this point. That was a different um, time. Good to know. Um, so there's Epstein news. Can we get the Epstein news? Absolutely. You take the lead. I've got something to say on this. Uh, well, there were... There was a um, a release of documents from an old lawsuit uh, against Jelaine Maxwell, yeah. and there's some more. There's some more documents coming out either tonight or in a couple of days or something. But uh, there I'm were proud three. to say I resisted reading them. How did you do on that score? I I did not resist. I looked. I I, I read. I read immediately the Twitter feeds of people who were reading them. There are three takeaways. One, as expected. There's no evidence that Trump actually had sex with these underage girls. One of them said, oh, Trump, he never had sex with any of us. He flirted with me once and said, and said, Jeff, you have the life. Okay. But, but so as, as, as predicted here, Trump comes off clean. Second, Bill Clinton does not come off clean because he denied he was on Epstein's Island. And there's an eyewitness girl who says, oh, yeah, he was there with two girls from New York, two underage girls from New York. I think well, there I was know. all. I believe there was already an eyewitness, uh, a guy who worked on the island uh, in that Netflix documentary to that effect. Okay. Anyway, well, go ahead. A second, 
There's a second thing, but, and Bill, but after the Netflix documentary, Bill Clinton kept on denying it. And now there's another witness who says, no, he was there on the island. So it's possible that Bill Clinton is lying. I'm having trouble getting my mind around that. You know, it's but, funny. Um, I just I just taped a thing with Eric Alterman, who's just written a book about the history of lying by presidents. And he claims that actually Clinton himself uttered relatively few lies, notwithstanding a couple of famous ones. But anyway, go ahead. Right. Well, he tries to he tries. That's why you're you're only Clintonian when you're trying not to lie and you're trying to come up with a. A very carefully yeah. parsed legalistic explanation. It's like, like sex, sexual relations does not include oral sex. I was, I was did not never have sexual al- relations I, I would, with that woman. The best one, I was never alone in a hotel with her. There were always other people in the hotel, Bob. Well, hotels um, have a lot of rooms. He was right. The, um, and the third thing is, you know, the big, the big issue to my mind is not, you know, can we nail Alan Dershowitz or, or uh, Bill Richardson? It is, how big is this scandal? Is it a scandal so vast that it incorporates large chunks of the American and British ruling class? Or is it just the four or five people we've heard about, even if they include George Mitchell? And there was some evidence, these women, that it was a big, bigger scandal. See, there were prime ministers, all sorts of famous people involved, you know, dozens of famous people. So there's, that's the first indication that yes, it's not just these, this, these five, you know, fetid characters who we've heard about, but it actually is a bigger scandal. And that, that, that would be a qualitative change. That's, that to me is the big, the big issue is how big was it and was the Mossad behind it? What was the, what was the, what was the, um, or were other national actors behind it? And you're those, saying those that, are the two big issues. Does this release bear on that at all? The latest documents? The latest documents do tend to indicate that yes, it was bigger. It was bigger. Well, who are the new names? They didn't have the new names. They said yeah. a, a famous prime minister who one assumes is Tony Blair, but we don't know for sure. And these would just be people on the island, so that doesn't necessarily mean that they were involved in the sordid orgies. I didn't know about Tony but, Blair, but anyway. Anyway, the um. No, but uh, you know that's. I, I'm asking you, who do you think of when you think of? Well, we already Prime knew that Oud Barak was, was Margaret Thatcher. We already knew Oud Barak is involved, right? He was Prime Minister at one point, right? But he okay. said of of England, I think. Oh, they said it. Well, that does yeah. narrow it down, doesn't yeah. it? So, um, I think maybe not, but it could just have been Barack. Anyway, um, that would be disappointing. But um, so those are my three takeaways. Okay, so I have uh. A couple of things. Um, oh, quickly, I think what what works against a Mossad hypothesis or any intelligence agency is like, but especially Mossad, but especially a foreign agency is like, um, you would think if you're working for an intelligence agency and you're in the business of accumulating academics, high-powered scientists, they would be like computer scientists They'd be into bio, molecular biology, genetic engineering, you know, uh, physics, applied physics, you know, all these things where they might have actual information that's of use to a state, you know, cutting edge technological right. information. Well, that's not the kind of scientists he accumulated. It was like, you know, Steve Pinker, Bob Trivers, Lawrence Krauss, not, I mean, Lawrence Krauss is a physicist, but he's not like a high powered one. He's just a popularizer. It's like, the, these, these were not, uh, the kinds of, he, he didn't go, now Marvin Minsky, yeah, but 
Uh, he was pretty old at that point and, and, and was not doing cutting edge research. He was just kind of a godfather of, uh, AI. George um, Church? Well, now he's a molecular biologist. Is that right? I thought he was like the big artificial intelligence guy. He's exactly the guy you would want if you were the most. Well, I'd have to look at, I hadn't heard that name, but, but a lot of the, the people you see in the pictures are not the well, kinds he, of scientists you I don't, expect. I don't think he, I don't know if he was involved in any of the sorted activities, but he definitely took Epstein's money. I okay. think. I well, think maybe more the, the lab still, in which he worked or something. I don't want to lie but, him, but, but I'm pretty sure he separate he took from Epstein that. Epstein money. seems to have had an interest in like evolutionary biology and well, well evolutionary psychology and and if 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 you were running Epstein, you take you 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 go to war you with the Epstein you, you got. He yeah. was he obviously was too interested in young women. That was dysfunctional and eventually got him into trouble. And he was actually seriously interested in all these scientific issues, which meant. He probably gave scientific conferences and financed scientific conferences that wasted dollars on on issues that were of interest to him, but probably were not of interest to his spy masters if he had spy masters. So that's yeah. I mean, you still get a you still get a positive result. Just compromising George Mitchell if you're Israel, and compromising Bill Clinton if you're Israel, those are two important things, if true. If um, true. And, and of course, if, if that's true, then, then his young, uh, his, his fetish for underage women or whatever teenagers comes in handy because that's much, uh, stronger blackmail. Dirt. Right. Well, that's the strong blackmail. Yeah. And the, the other interesting George Church tidbit I learned. Look, I got to Google George Church if you're going to keep talking about him. From my friend, he's a big deal. From my friend. Yeah, but you don't know which discipline, my, right? My friend, John Ellis, um, uh, who writes a blog, uh, a newsletter called News Items? He's already taken the COVID vaccine. Okay. These hot shots at MIT got advanced doses of the COVID vaccine, and throwing apparently caution to the winds, they took it. We do. They don't know what the side effects are. They could be like Jonathan Edwards. Your your. Well, they've been your, tested in small populations already. Okay. Okay, but for safety, I mean, it could. Okay, but you know, it just Not, seems risky. Well, for, if this guy is so important, why are we letting him take this vaccine anyway? Okay, George Church is a geneticist, so that makes sense. You're right. Um, so on on Dershowitz, uh, I was kind of thinking my opinion of him did couldn't get any lower, but boy, was I wrong. So um, first of all, do you remember last week when you read to me these quotes? attributed to Maria Farmer, who was a, a, a big-time victim of Epstein, worked for him for a long time, was was sexually abused by Epstein and Ghislaine, she says, and virtually held captive on uh, Les Wexner's bizarro um, little colony of estates, whatever it is. Um, so, and as I said, as I recalled, so there were quotes like... Uh, all the Jewish people I met are pedophiles that run the world economy. So um, I'm almost positive, as I said, you read me this series of, 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 of quotes attributed that, that that came in the context of her saying, you know, I've struggled with my anti-Semitism, with this anti-Semitism issue, because when this happened to me, I had known that many Jewish people and they were saying all this weird stuff like, oh, you can't go to the country club that Les Wexner goes to because only Jews can go. According to her, that's what they said, whatever. But she explains, as I said, that why she was overgeneralizing 
from this per- small group of Jewish people, namely, you know, mainly Epstein, uh, I guess, uh, Wexner and, and Ghislaine, um, and how so she's tried to get over it. And, and obviously it's kind of deeply dishonest to take that quote out of context and, and as if she's still saying it. All the Jewish people right. I've met are, and so this quotes like that. Well, it turns out that where those quotes come from is, is a, is an op-ed that Dershowitz recently wrote to right. discredit this woman. Right. And she is, by the way, has cancer. She, she, she suffered this tremendous abuse. Um, now I sh- should be clear as I think I have b- been before, but she definitely is prone to some conspiratorially, th- some conspiratorial thinking. She does think Mossad was behind it. Uh, as you know, she says that Ghislaine told her the Rothschilds have been big supporters of hers, whatever. So if you want to use the conspiracy theories as, as, uh, as part of an argument that she's anti-Semitic, fine, because some of that stuff she still believes. But for Dershowitz to take, you know, to, to present all these quotes, like, for example, um, they think Jewish DNA is better than the rest of us. Uh, you would think she's saying that about all Jews. Again, I'm 90%, 99% sure that she was talking about the sense she got from, from these people, from Ghislaine, from Jeffrey, that right. like they get their country club, they're superior, blah, blah, blah. So right. that's, I just have to say, I mean, I don't know what this guy wouldn't stoop to. I mean, and again, she's apparently has two kinds of cancer right now. And of course she's one of his accusers. So it's, it's, Naturally, he'd want to discredit her, but it seems that some rules should apply. Um, but is one more Dershowitz gonna, thing? But go ahead and re- respond. I'm not going to. I'm not going to defend Dershowitz. Um, now, you were at Harvard as a student when he was there, right? I didn't have him as a professor. Yeah. Uh, um, I could have, but it was he taught a different section. Yeah. Uh, the so, um, uh, the um. Go ahead. One more Dershowitz thing. It turns out. This is what I discovered on Twitter last night. That so he met Epstein in '96. Uh, now he says, by the way, he met him too late in '96 for Maria Farmer's recollection of Dershowitz visiting the mansion repeatedly and going upstairs where the girls were to be. True, because uh, Dershowitz says she quit working there in May or something. I didn't meet. Uh, so who knows what, about that? But anyway, Dershowitz, of course, has a separate accuser, this Virginia Jeffrey woman who says right. she was instructed to have sex with Dershowitz repeatedly, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he meets Epstein in 1996. And in 1997, he writes an op-ed, Dershowitz does, called Statutory Rape is an Outdated Concept, in which he argues that the threshold shouldn't be 17 years old or 18 years old, but it should be 15 years old. Um, he says, uh, this is, here's a quote, reasonable people can disagree over whether it should be as low as 14. <laughs> well, uh, 15 would seem like an appropriate compromise. Perhaps there should be staircasing below 15 with the penalty increasing inversely with the age of the victim. Now, in a way, that last part seems like the weirdest part to me. Like, it's not enough that he's arguing for putting it down to 15. Uh, the, the, he, he, his, his mind won't stop there. He's like, but wait a second. What if you want to have sex with a 13 year old? Should that be the same as having sex with, I'm sorry. I think this is pretty weird. Well, I don't, I'm not sure it's that weird. I mean, it's a 14 year old in his theory would be worse than having sex with a three year old. I mean, that seems clear. Do you think, 
it's an interesting coincidence that he writes this within months of entering sure. Jeffrey Epstein's orbit. Do you think that's significant? Sure. Yes, and I think that was Epstein's view. If if I that the the, law, the laws were outdated, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm um, sure they. I'm sure it was. So, um, well, no, he could have thought he was a Superman who the laws shouldn't apply to, but he did. I think he also thought the laws were outdated. Um, so, okay, well, uh, you can you can this this Maria Farmer must have been incredibly compelling because you seem obsessed with her. No, I just uh, she keeps coming back. I mean, the Dershowitz thing broke this week. The um, you know via what you describe. I mean, there was more news about Dershowitz that led this person to post this op-ed on Twitter, and you brought up the anti-Semitic quotes last week, which I only right. learned this week were right. from Dershowitz. You right. you know you didn't know that or didn't right. say it. Um, but no, I want to emphasize like when I first listened. This was like months ago now. I had watched the Netflix thing. I found out there's this interview with her. I listened to it. And my first reaction was like, I'm not sure. You know, she sounds kind of scattered. She's saying some wild things. Um, and so, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting, uh, that anyone who listens to that will find her particularly right. credible. My guess is that her specific recollections about the facts are accurate as memories go, whereas her surmises about the conspiracy or whatever deserve much more skepticism. But, um, you know, it's out there on YouTube. People want to listen to it. The The only other topic I have on my list is the future of the Republican Party, which may not be a topic that grips you. Nor does it really grip me, but it does seem to me that there's a fundamental fallacy in the way the debate is going. It's the question is, do you want to burn? Do you want to follow the advice of the Lincoln Project people and burn it to the ground and strip the party of anybody who you know who uh, who uh, enabled Trump or supported him, or do you want to accept the fact that a lot of Republicans supported Trump and we have to rebuild the party with their help? And you know, Peggy Noonan had had what would ordinarily be a very good column explaining why, uh, you know, the failure to ignore the Trump supporters is how you got Trump. So, you, of course, you don't want to, you know, strip the party of everybody who supported Trump. But it, it ignored the fundamental fact, which is if the Democrats take the Senate, this is all an obsolete debate because the Democrats are going to guarantee that the Republican Party, as we know it, never gets long-term power again. They may win an election too, but the demographics, if you pass a big immigration bill, if you have an extra state with two more senators, uh, you know, the, de- the the demographics will be so much, if, if you get rid of gerrymandering, the Democrats, the favorable trends for the Democrats will be so strong that a conservative Republican Party could not survive. Now, you could have a Me Too Republican Party that shifts way to the left Sort of like the California Republican Party Me wants too, to go. in the sense of imitating the Democrats, or in the sense of yeah, emphasizing. In the sense of, okay. I'm for you know the the Republican Party in the in the fifties was I'm we, we accept Social Security. We just think it's wasting too much money. You could say we accept Medicare for all. We just want restraints on it so it doesn't break the bank. That sort of Republican Party could obviously survive, and it would have to survive in order to 
get market share would have to move to the left. That doesn't bother me. But this idea that the these conservative Republicans are fighting over what the Republican Party will look like after they lose the Senate, they're fighting over a corpse. Their, 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 their party will, will cease to be important. It'll be like the California Republican Party, which will never come back as currently ideologically structured. It's dead, dead, dead. I guess that, that, I guess that means they sort of buy into Ron Brownstein's, uh, analysis that, uh, the demographic trends doom Republicans, but I think it's true. So, um, uh, um they, 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 they don't realize this is it. This is the fight. If they lose this fight, it's not a question of destroying the Republican Party. The Republican Party is finished. Wait, if they lose which fight? The fight over the Senate. The majority of the Senate. Right. If they lose, because your view the White is House, then you get amnesty. Amnesty. The country is flooded with Latinos who vote. Not Democratic. just amnesty. Not just amnesty for the twelve million or more that are here. You got a doubling of legal immigration. You encourage okay. future amnesty, future illegal this is, immigration. This is your great. And theory. there'll be amnesty after amnesty after amnesty. Already with the demographic trends we have, you know, Georgia is turning blue, Texas is turning blue, California's already turned blue. This just adds fuel to that trend, which is already there. So it's not like a huge stretch. And that's well, what Democrats actually think if you get them in private. So I mean, why to some extent, true? you know, this echoes a conversation we had last time about horseshoe theory, but. You know, I wouldn't assume that uh, no internal contradictions will emerge within the Democratic Party. There already are tensions, as we as we discussed. I, now, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, if you're the Republicans, it seems like is it too simple to say, "Look, you got to decide." I mean, I mean, what Trump revealed is a a divergence between the party's base and its elites, right? And right. and you got to decide: do we go with the base or do we go with the elites? Well, right. there's not enough elites to get anybody elected to anything, right? right? I mean, no matter how much money they spend, however craftily, uh, there's you know the elites but, are always but, in a minority. But my point is that even the base is doomed. This election is well, it. Even the base is doomed if Biden wins and the Democrats take the Senate. Both parts of the Republican Party, even the part I like, which is the base. Are doomed. The uh, horseshoe, the horseshoe part. Well, they're doomed long doomed. term anyway. They're older. They're dying off. They're, they're, they're uh, they, they live in low density areas. Their tendons still, there continues to be, I think, a tendency for people to migrate toward higher density areas, right? I mean, isn't it a question of how long they last in either event? I guess I think they're counter trends. Uh, and, and I, and I, I think, if the if if the Democrats don't win the Senate and and you block these changes, there is a chance for a populist right to take hold. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean uh, you you can live in the, in a city and still be a a, a uh, populist nationalist. Uh, you know you you're unlikely to be against same sex marriage. You're probably squishy on choice. Uh, all sorts of social issues, I think urban, urbanization leads to squishiness on. But, you know, you could still be a Republican mm-hmm. as we recognize them now. Well, uh, is there hope for the Republicans in just kind of like woke culture overplaying its hands? I mean, I can't, I can't believe that some of the, uh, the consequences or some of the kind of residue of the protests Really sits well with Robert. all Democrats, right? I right. mean, I mean, 
I, 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 I don't think a majority of Americans right. are looking but, at Portland and like, way to go. Right. I think that's right. But my point is, if it doesn't take hold, if the backlash doesn't happen now, it's basically too late. That's well, my point. as I said, Trump's numbers improved non-trivially over the last week. It could be that Portland is is uh, is the Democratic Party's Waterloo, Mickey. Well, I bring you hope. I bring you a message. I was of hoping hope. that Waterloo would I be hope. when they tried to cancel me. Yeah, that's going but too far. When did they try the wa- to cancel you? Actually, the Waterloo was when they tried to cancel Trader Giotto's spaghetti sauce. You saw that Trader Joe's stood firm against the woke mob. Did they? Good. Yes. Good. And they, they they issued a press release, which didn't go through all the rigmarole about, yes, we support Black Lives Matter. It just said, we don't think these are racist. We're keeping them. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we'll see what happens. Now, that reminds uh, me, like, in general with cancer, this isn't actually a great example of that, but I think a lot of the cancer, the, the excesses of cancel culture would be largely eliminated if institutions would quit freaking out, right? It's like the company that fired this guy Shore or the universities that do X, Y, or Z, if they were more thoroughly realize something that I think all of us kind of eventually learn on social media, which is that however much in the moment, it seems like you're besieged by an unconquerable group of enemies. If you just sit around for a couple of days, it'll go away. And and some of that, I don't, I don't think it's going to go away in the NBA. I don't think support for Black Lives Matter is going to disappear. Well, that's because the the NBA NBA. is itself 90% black, but whatever it is, 80%. But, um, the uh but you know universities it's like i don't know i mean princeton which i pay attention to uh leave aside the I, the woodrow wilson issue may have been a very serious political problem for the president i do not believe his heart was in changing the name um but we- but i just want to say one more thing there, there's this other this whole you probably read about this there's a piece about it in quillette by a princeton professor this letter signed by like 300 Princeton faculty members that it sounds like had at least one thing I'd consider crazy, which is that how much time you get for sabbaticals depends on your race. I mean, you know, uh, that I just call me old fashioned, but, um, and he, his reaction to that letter was not to say anything critical about that, but to seize on a phrase in the Quillette piece against the letter and, criticize that i just think uh if i'm thinking if you what would have been so bad about just remaining quiet in our california style one-party state we can have all these debates cancel culture no cancel culture school choice not school choice labor unions no labor unions all those debates are possible they're lively in california they just occur within the democratic party yeah well as among people who among people who aren't conservative i mean as for your republican fear i don't know I, I think there's going to be real fluidity in both parties for the next 20 years. And, and it could just seems like it could work out. Um, well, if I were Josh Hawley, I'd be ready. I'd be ready to go when Trump pulls an LBJ and announces he's not a candidate. That's your prediction. Okay. Not a prediction. No, I'd just be ready. Um, it's unlikely to happen, but it might happen. Maybe at the very last minute. Don't you think Pence would be the natural though? Right, but you'd have to do somehow something to upend that. So, Mickey, quickly from viewers, a little bit of stuff from viewers. Do you have anything else? No, I'm done. Uh, 
subject of never-ending fascination to both of us is who, what pairs of people we remind people of. We've done the Smothers okay. Brothers and so on. Okay, here, this person says, very nice to see Robert Ryder and Kaus Mickey, our Twitter handles, bring their Holmes, Watts, and Vibe back for regular conversations. Which one of us would be Sherlock Holmes? Is it obvious? Should it be obvious to me? I think you're Sherlock Holmes. Why, thank you. My... That was elementary. I'm the, I'm the Watson, like I'm the Watson, like every man. Oh yeah, I guess if you're Oscar in the here's, in the here's Odd Couple, you're Johnson. Watson. I've, I've, <laughs> glad you. Glad you uh, that is Lyndon Johnson. You're right. Okay, sorry, I was very proud of myself. No, that was really well done. Okay, fi- uh, a couple of others. Rebecca on YouTube writes. I don't get this show. I feel like I joined the conversation after it started and don't know why they are choosing the topics they speak of except, quote, what's in the news, unquote. I guess you have to know their personalities. They both seem flat and a bit boring and not terribly intelligent. So I'm thinking we may not see Rebecca in the parrot room, Mickey. Well, well, she's onto us. Apparently. Um, what can I say? We sound like two guys who have a list of things they want to talk about and haven't planned ahead of time and just sort of babble. Final comment is from, uh, the name is Elbenfrau3336 on YouTube. It's a serious question and a good one. What is the parrot room? Do you know what the good answer to that is? No. What is the good answer? good answer is, there's only one way to find out what the parrot <laughs> okay. room, and that's to go into the parrot room. Oh, I thought the parrot we, room is in your mind. Do we, we we don't have any news this week as to whether the parrot room will actually exist? We don't. We think we may next week. Are you going to be we around next about, week? We can talk about that afterwards. I will, I will be around next week, yes. Okay. So there may be news. We, uh, um, we may encourage people to uh, press not only press the like button on YouTube, but uh, rate and review us. Rate and review the right show which this is, for the time being at least, um, on on finer podcast apps everywhere, iTunes and so on. You can also get us on the broader Blogging Heads feed. Um, um, yes. And your Twitter handle. Oh, oh, newsletter plugging. Yours is uh, Cal's Files. Mine is non-zero. You can sign up at nonzero.org. On the, on, you, you have to really Google Cal's Files Substack. Yeah. I'm afraid, which is all. I don't the make rage, it easy to find. Which is all the rage by which I'm re- I'm referring to Substack, Mickey. Sorry. Um, the uh, Twitter handle is Kaus Mickey Robert Ryder. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Um, we're promising. Yeah. No. No, we we we've left it all on. It's all up on screen. You know, we've left. We've, we've left it, it all on the field. There's nothing we left, left to it talk all about in the even field and, and nothing in the locker room, as you say. Right. We'll right. explain the go. meaning of that last phrase next time we talk. I think people know the meaning of that phrase. I bet. I bet many don't know what. Don't leave it. Well, maybe you're right. Okay. Enough. See you next time. Okay. See ya.